listening to Rising from the Ashes Premium Podcasting. Osiris had already left his incarnation. He was on the other side. But she was connecting with his essence through the use of a ri- the ritual use of a sacred phallus. And you see many of these sacred phalli, these dildos, all over the ancient world. Ancient belief and ancient history that the human used to be hermaphroditic. We used to have phallic together. Mm-hmm, some point through like nefarious means we were broken apart okay this would be one of the hybriding experiments and rudolf steiner who Well and well today on this fantastic turning of a new, turning of a new day. We are back with a fantastic interview with a fantastic author, Marguerite Rigoglioso. Talking about immaculate conception and much more. Ancient mysteries, no doubt ancient secrets hidden without this topic of immaculate conception is very interesting to us and we have a couple episodes lined up on this topic and more to come interesting to think about it as an initiation ritual of sorts. It's fun to think about it from the standpoint of potential hybrided experiments from alien forces. It's fun to think about it being the touch of God. Either way, these stories and motifs spread across cultures and myths across the world for centuries. So let your imagination wander. Let your creative energy explore. Let us know what you think. Be sure to follow us on Telegram at Rising From The Ashes. If you have any concerns or guest inquiries or if you want to be on the show, go ahead and give us an email at risingfromtheashespod at protonmail.com. If you would like to support us, We have a Patreon up where you can get bonus content, $3 a month. All the links will be in the description. Much love and aloha to you. And enjoy today's episode with Marguerite Ricoglioso. Welcome to Rising from the Ashes. It is the homie Romy here. Um, pleasantly stoked for this conversation today. Um, we have the wonderful and mysterious Morgan Bray. Hello, Morgan. How are you? Hi, Romy. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Thanks for setting this up. Of course. Of course. I'm glad you could join me. Thank you. 
and with our guest today, we have the wonderful Marguerite Rigoglioso. Did I say your name correctly? Almost perfectly. <laughs> it's it's regal like a queen, regal yozo. That would be the absolute oh. Italian pronunciation of it, but you're good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for, you know, allowing that a uh, little mishap there. Uh, so, Morgan, do you, do you want to take away um, how, how maybe you came across Marguerite's work and, and what we're going to be talking about today, the overarching uh, concept of today's show? Yeah, sure. Okay, so I um, have been into the Nag Hammadi text um, just because we're like doing a Bible show. So I've been just trying to get answers from different sources. And um, I have been very much into the Proto-Evangelion, uh, which is the infancy of James, the Gospel of Mary. Um, and so I was just looking for anyone who could talk to us about it or just me about it or like new stuff about it. And I found Miss Marguerite on Cliff Dunning's um, Earth Ancients, or Destiny, perhaps. So shout out Cliff for having Miss Marguerite on there. And she's going to come on here and tell us about what she's working on, you know, a little bit more of the divine feminine aspect that I feel like could be brought to the forefront a little bit better. Yeah. yeah. So Marguerite, um, when did you start getting into the divine feminine? Like what brought you here? <laughs> Loaded <laughs> you know, it, prior, prior to this lifetime for those who believe in reincarnation. Um, and, but, you know, I would say that really unbeknownst to me, the jumping off point was the death of my mother when I was 10 years old. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. That's an initiation, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Big mm -hmm. time. It took me a number of years to figure out what that was all about. But um, then when I was in my, you know, late 20, mid to late 20s, I started finding alternative spirituality. And I started finding teachers who were talking about the need for the sacred feminine, and how the lack of that has created like a gash in the souls of women on this planet. And there are, are many cultures that did venerate goddesses and still do all over the world. And oh, by the way, your European ancestors did. And that was like a light bulb going on where I was like, I knew it, right? I, I knew that something big was really off and that was it. And so I started investigating and looking up written things and courses um, in various areas I was living, you know, the Boston area at the time, I ended up going out to California to the California Institute of Integral Studies. And I studied women's spirituality, goddess studies, priestess studies, and helped kind of co-create the movement, you know, based yes. on some of the elder women, what they had been doing. I was kind of like the next generation. And, and I began my, my writing and teaching ministry through that. And um, it's led to now three fully published books. The fourth is coming out in 2024. And, you know, we can get into some of those I topics. Do. We would love to get into those topics, all four of them. <laughs> I have a question <laughs> just for just off the bat for starting um, talking about miraculous conception and some of the uh, main motifs that I've kind of seen just looking at. Um, some of the exoteric uh, understanding of just the basis of some of these stories. And a lot of it has to pertain to gold. And I'm wondering, um, like, I, I for, for instance, the golden showers um, that came on um, uh, Danae in ancient Greece, uh, the golden phallus of Osiris and Isis. So this kind of gold motif, I'm wondering... Through your studies, what have you found about these ancient stories and these ancient mysticism and its association with gold and miraculous conception? Yeah, because, you know, unexpectedly uh, for my for my doctoral dissertation, I was led to write my dissertation on divine birth as a real thing. And I was mainly focusing on ancient Greece. Um, 
but that quickly led to understanding Mother Mary in a real way and seeing how broad this practice was as a priestess practice around the world. And yes, pretty quickly, I understood the relationship to gold uh, through that story of Danai, who is the mother of Perseus by means of Zeus, who comes in this uh, Anunnaki reptilian being who comes in and impregnates her in, in, in an unbidden way. And he tricks her essentially yes. into, and this is the trickery that was associated with these beings who were acting, interacting with the human women um, is all over the place. But in this story, what it's referring to is that he knew how to turn himself into gold light. Okay? Yes. Gold light was one of the technologies that a divine birth priestess learned how to work with because that was actually the conception mechanism. It was working at the quantum level with golden light that would, that would result in the spontaneous conception of her egg without male sperm. So in comes this being. He pretends that he's golden light, but what he's really doing is he's impregnating her uh, with his seed, so to speak, mm. not not the golden light that would have given a parthenogenetic or a virgin birth kind of uh, conception. But now we're talking about a distorted sort of rape, essentially a distorted mm. secret marriage that was essentially a rape. And these kinds of interdimensional things were going on because yes. if anybody knows who works in the interdimensional realms, who does sacred medicine or who is already connected or goes into meditation and, and sees or is clairvoyant, there are whole other realms of beings. And these, yes. these beings started getting involved in the work, uh, the very high functioning work of these priestesses to bring in divine avatars. And they started mucking up the works. So it's, it's a very big and long story. And there were phases of how these priestesses worked it the later phase was what you're talking about, Roman, with Isis, where she used a sacred dildo in order to engender this conception. Osiris had already left his incarnation. He was on the other side. But she was connecting with his essence through the use of a rit the ritual use of a sacred phallus. And you see many of these sacred phalli, these dildos all over the ancient world. Really? In and things like that and the, the classicists you know don't know what to do with them they're associated with mystery traditions and it's mm -hmm. like well that's because people ah. were using them to have certain kinds of experience and isis's experience with the sacred phallus was essentially to connect energetically with osiris but it was the golden phallus so it's again referencing mm -hmm. golden light while he's on the other plane and then the conception of Horus took place. So these are not just funny, interesting little stories <laughs> that people made up along the way. These are describing histories, technologies, and practices that have been veiled for us. And that is what I have been unveiling since essentially, um, <clears throat> you know, my, my dissertation was completed in 2007 my first two books on divine birth were completed and published in 2009 and 10. And then my, my book on Mother Mary as a divine birth priestess came out in 2001. So I've been talking about writing about and teaching about this for, you know, a couple of decades now, essentially. Wow. Well, that's thank you for that. And I, just to just to touch on that before we maybe take another uh, route, because I know Morgan has tons of, que of questions. <laughs> But what, um, and so I've, I know about some obvious like phallus structures, like there's some old um, statues of like Hermes that had just huge yeah. phallus on it. And there's stories of, you know, walking up and, and using that as a, as a structure. So, um, you know, looking into different esoteric and occult studies, uh, you find that, they, you know, some of these uh, stone uh, phalluses or talismans, as we call them, were, um put into uh, a ceremonial use and yeah. um i'm just yeah if if you can just enlighten me a little bit more on some of these uh, not as well known um 
yeah. phalluses and then maybe uh, how they might have been thought to be used in ceremony? Yeah, it's an important question because in India, what we see is the yoni lingam. It's the phallic stone is known as the lingam, and it's often seen in a structure called the yoni, which is like um, a kind of a round piece, and it sticks into it, and it's it's yoni lingam. It's worshipped as one whole thing. So it's the, the womb phallus almost as one, right? Because ultimately, the phallus comes out of the womb tissue of the fetus, right? And ultimately, you could look at the universe as being a womb structure out of which the masculine emerges. That's the Shakta universe, the, the conception of the universe as feminine, right? So, yes. and there are these stories in India about is the universe feminine? Is it masculine? And it kind of goes in like a circle or a figure eight. Just when you think they're talking about that the universe is a masculine creation, then you find out that in in Shiva's name, it really means the goddess. And, you know, you, it's always, yes. it always circles around to like both and, like yin yang. But in a way, it's like the womb that holds all, if you can't, if you will. So um, in terms of like the phallic structure, so, you know, Plato talks about an ancient belief and ancient history that the human used to be hermaphroditic. We used to have phallic mm -hmm, mm -hmm. together. And that at some point through like nefarious means, we were broken apart. Okay, this would be one of the hybriding experiments. Mm -hmm. And Rudolf Steiner, who... Channel. Okay. Yep. Always. He, he said that also in Lemuria, which I had received myself in Lemuria, earlier stages, we were all one. And so conception and birth were like, oh, you know, just a kind of a mm -hmm. kind of situation. It wasn't <laughs> like a coming together. But once the sexes were split, and again, this is a, a history that humanity needs to reckon with because it is source of big problems for humanity that are now being introduced today again in a different guise mark what i'm saying okay and all of this all of this uh acrimony that's going on um and so once the humans were split then they were always longing for their other part their other half their mm -hmm. hermaphroditic wholeness yes and so, right and so then that split was a way that a lot of negative beings could come in, interfere with us, put hooks, programs, spells, implants, grids, and create what is being known as sexual misery programs between men and women that we're still dealing with today and trying to heal. Okay. Wow. So it, that this, blew my mind, Marguerite. <laughs> all right. So this comes back into what we ultimately want to do, which is become hermaphroditic within. Mm-hmm. Some people are externalizing this process and it's being hijacked for other purposes. That ah, yes. Well, to get aware of what's I hear you. happening. Yeah. So, um, so returning to the phallus then. So then once you had the split, then you had the separation of the womb and the phallus. Mm -hmm. Always wanting to come together. But there's still sacred implements of divine procreation right? Mm -hmm. And so what happened was that as this history of distorted masculine energies off planet came in, they started out of balancing the phallic energy, right? They started turning it into a weapon and a, a sword instead of a ah. co-creative, you know, unity tool, <laughs> if you will. And so now we've got the womb, which is really the whole universe itself, suddenly starting to get taken over by the phallic element. Ooh, out of control phallic element, resulting in all these stories of rapes of goddesses, rapes of women, and so forth and so on. Now, the ancient mystery traditions of, of Greece, for example, my understanding, if we're going to talk like specifically about the Eleusinian mysteries, which were dedicated to a mother-daughter goddess. Yes. What I have deciphered in my second book, 
um, virgin mother goddesses of antiquity. Half of it's devoted to this entire analysis of what really happened at the Eleusinian Mysteries. Um, phalli, herms, were used for various purposes of insertion in ritual ways to engender that kind of connectivity with the, with the masculine, um, the masculine fecundating power. And this would happen not only for women who have wombs, but for men who have anuses. So there was that kind of entry and penetration going on in ancient Greece. And I highly recommend that people read my chapter on Demeter and Persephone in Virgin Mother Goddesses of Antiquity about what happened during the Eleusinian Mysteries, okay? How those phalluses were used to engender this mind-blowing experience of entry into the underworld that then led them into a journey with the rape of Persephone, the rebirth of her child Dionysus, which is the rebirth of the person who's going through the actual initiation, um, the grief of Demeter, the the you know reconciliation with the f- raping force. You know, it's all yes. a healing a healing program that they were meant to experience to release their fear of death. In that, well, after you drop this body, you're going to keep going. Number one and number two to live a more ethical life, understanding that, wow, all of these dramas and stories affect humanity, they affect our behavior, but we need to come into more of a right relationship with our own divine essence, and then therefore with one another um, through love and trust in the cycles of the universe. So that's like kind of it in, in a nutshell. But the phallus was the entry point that Dildo was the entry point while they're imagine taking Mother Ayahuasca, Grandmother Ayahuasca, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden working with this story and inserting a phallus into yourself because you are now Persephone being raped and entering the underworld. Ugh. Okay. This is what I've been trying to tell. Now, there has been radio silence on that book mm-hmm. for since 2010 when it came out. Um because no classicist will touch it. They don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm, it's no. For, it's too academic for most people to get into and really decipher. Yeah. There's only been a few people. But when I can get with people like you and just talk it out beyond yeah. the quotes and, you know, all that. Um, yes. It kind of opens up like, oh. <laughs> and people from Greece and all these places are like, refugees from Atlantis who are yes. refugees from Lemuria okay oh and the divine, okay. mm-hmm, and the divine birth peace is intimately involved in the creation of of the pharaohs in the creation of Atlantis itself and in the creation of Lemuria and, you know, the attempt to keep higher level beings coming to the planet, despite all of the densities getting thicker. Mm-hmm. So the women, these high priestesses were trying to keep up their connection with the star realms, conceive through alternative means, then a phallic penetration for various reasons, and divinely conceive the avatar who would be reborn onto the planet in various guises in various locations in various times and affect some healing. Effect so some healing and then, you know, get his generation of, of children going until then it kind of all fizzled out. And then periodically the avatar would have to come again. And some of them were female, like Mother Mary herself. Yeah. Finally born of her mother, Anne. And some Grandmother of them Yeah. And so that's like the the foundation to everything and, and to what we're talking about here today that seems to be quite fascinating to you. Oh, absolutely. I really appreciate that um, groundwork because I had no clue that um, it, Lemuria was before Atlantis. I was under the impression, like, and this is not from any source or anything, that they were two separate uh, things at the same time they were um so that's well, maria was first that is amazing i'm i'm like shocked that like yeah i mean you have all this out and here yeah. we are trying to figure yeah. out where Atlantis 
is under the uh, ocean. Lemuria, Lemuria was first. It was closest to our angelic divine human blueprint and the angelics that were working with the earth plane. It's almost like out of Lemuria came Atlantis because, you know, as you're dealing with the earth plane, things were getting denser and denser. It feels like Atlantis was sort of born out of Lemuria. Um, mm -hmm. or, and it also had seedings from other locations, but um, yes. including yes. the Pleiades, actually. I mean, I could talk about the virgin birth story. That's <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, it, it, and it's the god, I believe it's Poseidon, who was the main god or astral master that was the governor of that, of Atlantis. And it was through... It can't, you know, if you look at the Platonic story, the seven sisters of the Pleiades are like the foremothers of Atlantis. Okay. Wow. And then there are these early virgin birth stories of this priestess. Um, I think it's Cleo who gave divine birth to, you know, through, I believe, Poseidon's child and then created lineages. And, you know, so it's like there is a heck of a history there. Mm -hmm. um, to look at. And, you know, I've talked about this in various of my courses. And um, so Atlantis and, and Lemuria were coeval at the same time. They, you know, they existed simultaneously. And they got into warfare because the Atlantean impulse was a more out of control, aggressive AI connected mm -hmm. to yeah. that eventually got connected to reptilian Anunnaki that started taking over Lemuria and Lemuria was like, which is so peaceful was like, whoa, what the heck? We can't let this happen. So there were a series of like explosions, implosions, nuclear war that went on. And mm -hmm. actually both of them sank because, mm -hmm. you know, it's like when you go to rescue a drowning person, you know, sometimes you'll both sink yep. and that's what yeah. happened. All right. And Lemuria was the more feminine, the earlier, the more star, system watery atlantis atlantis unfortunately got taken over by ai remnants and um waves of which we are feeling now we are remembering this whole thing it's almost like we're in a way reliving it on some yeah. level okay i mean that that's what the uh, occultist of the late uh, 1700s and 1800s were really trying to embody in some of the writings, specifically New Atlantis with Sir Francis Bacon and yeah. knowing that this new age was was pretty much coming upon us. We talked, uh, uh, you, you touched on Rudolf Steiner earlier and I love theosophy and uh, you know, obviously H.P. Blavatsky and and Rudolf had quite a connection um, starting theosophy together basically. Um, well, she started it, he was a student. Yep. And he learned, yeah, exactly. So, yes. Right. And then he, he, rose to, bit... he rose to the cream of the crop at some point, though, right? He what? He rose to the cream of the crop of the of the teaching. Well, what he did was he disparaged Helena Blavatsky. So let's be straight about did that. Did he? Oh, yeah. oh, I'm terribly sorry. Okay, my apologies. No, not your fault. People don't know that because Helena Blavatsky recedes into the mists of Avalon and yeah. Rudolf Steiner's the big head honcho who gets all the attention. Oh, I see. Typical thing of what goes on. He ruined her reputation. Yeah, that's right. He was, first of all, got critical of her. And then they sicked this young um, journalist on her to quote mm -hmm. her claims and came up with reams discrediting her powers and this and that. And she was just like, you know what? Oh. I'm off this planet. And she took an early death exit. All right. She's like, I'm done. Because the woman was out in however many dimensions up. We yeah. don't even yeah. called Tibet. Mm -hmm. But really, it was she was like in high, high levels. You know, she would go travel over there. Gosh knows what she would get involved with. So the woman knew so much. And then she was just systematically disparaged by the male element. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. And, hmm. records. and then taken down and then discredited like and then they took avalon off, the mist of avalon off the shelf like they, she really got it bad when that yeah. happened. 
Yeah, she still gets a lot of uh, bad rep, unfortunately. Uh, but most of her work goes straight over people's heads in general. But um, I know. when I read HP, I'm I'm just it's like each paragraph is like a, a, a download that happens. And it's it's just yes. I love oh her writing. God. But but I just yeah, the reason I brought so... all that up was because in her um, when she talks about uh, the ages, she kind of describes what you were saying. It was like Lemuria happened and there was that that slight overlap of time before the Atlantean age. And um, yeah, so. Unfor okay, so unfortunately, my Zoom Pro account uh, was not renewed this month, and it's telling me that we have uh, to restart the recording. Uh, oh, to, not all to over. To do the next half hour. Not all just over. No, it. just, just yeah. for the next segment. Uh, save it and... Yeah, I'll save it, compress it, and I'll send it over. Um, I'll send you another link, though. All righty. All right. Technical difficulties. We will be right back with Marguerite. Hey, everybody. Right. Welcome back. Uh, we are here from a small hiatus and uh, with Marguerite. Uh, and Morgan is going to take the reins on these uh, next questions. Marguerite, I just wanted to ask you, like, Okay, so you pretty much have answered a lot of questions that I've had about um, these angels like coming in the proto-evangelon, coming to Mary and talking to Mary and telling Mary all of these things. And possibly, perhaps, maybe, I don't know, because it's a non-canonical book. So, but possibly we're having like this time lapse, like this time travel, like time warp thing because in this story mary has jesus and then they're traveling and they have to take like this elixir drink like the to go to sleep to make sure mary is actually not at fault or that she is still a virgin and then they wake up and then it happens again like the whole story does itself over again so it's I'm just curious. Oops. Oh, no. <laughs> she was just about to drop the question. Where did she go? Oh, goodness. Uh, she'll get back on. She'll so this, yeah, tell us about this elixir. All right. So in the, the Protoevangelium of James, which is me, means the infancy gospel of James, meaning it was written by a James who probably was um, one of the sons of Joseph mm -hmm. by a previous marriage. Joseph, who ended up in the Catholic tradition marrying Mary, but in this book, he never marries marries her. He is her guardian. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in this book, it's all about Mary's infancy. It used to be called the birth of Mary. That's what the, the original title of this gospel is. But <laughs> so... Um, so, it. so this tells us that Mary was divinely born of her mother, Anne, and then it tells us in veiled form all the things that Mary did in order to prepare herself to conceive one such as Jesus, and then it tells us about the process of her conception, and then what happens after she, when she gives birth to Jesus, what happens afterward, and things like that. So in the story, Joseph is like a doubting Thomas kind of guy, mm -hmm. and he has to be slapped upside the head by the angel who comes and says, look, your wife, your, you know, this woman who's with you um, is, had, had conceived without a male partner, without anyone, even though you were away doing carpentry, <laughs> you left her alone in the house. She's young, like 12, 13 years old. And um, so he, without that divine intervention, he was, he was doubting mm -hmm. and her a hard time. Once he finally gets the picture, he starts being her supporter, her protector, 
and they have to go around and do different things. Now, the Hebrew church at the time gets wind of the fact that Mary is pregnant. You kind of can't avoid it. She's getting <laughs> bigger and bigger. And they are getting down on Joseph because they're like, why did you impregnate the temple virgin? Okay. Clue number one, that they weren't really married, that this was some kind of unusual arrangement. And he said he didn't. And so they are a little put off by that. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, we were, we are going to give you both the drink test. What this involves oh. is they drink some kind of elixir, um, a hallucinogen, a truth serum. Okay. Like, you know, a psilocybin potion or an ayahuasca uh -huh. thing or whatever it is of the day that makes people tell the truth. Uh-huh. And because like anybody who's done sacred medicines, it's a truth serum. Like if you're with your partner and you've been like dogging somebody else, it's going to come up in that session, you know, yep. pretty much. So like, this is what the story was. And they, as part of it, they have to go out into the desert. And the implication is that also along with it, if you transgressed in any way against, you know, the Hebrew authorities or whatever authorities are governing this whole thing, you probably will die. So they drink this thing, they go out into the desert, they come back and the priests are astounded. And they're like, okay, this is our sign. These two people are telling the truth. We're going to leave them alone on that count. All right. Wow. They actually willingly left them alone because they believed in the in the, in, power. In the power of the wow. spirits that would come through with this medicine. Yeah. Give them what for or whatever it is. So, yeah. so they go out into the desert, they come back. And then what also happens is that during this period where they're out in the desert, uh, Mary's pregnant, they have to go to the census <laughs> to get counted. All right. This is already the reptilian Roman empire. That's like Taxes. our people, you know? And so Joseph is, is verklempt because he doesn't even know what am I going to say? The woman is not really my wife. She's not really my daughter yet. She's of daughter age. This is going to be completely awkward. So they're already upset, but they're going across the desert and they have a few non-ordinary state experiences all right and joseph sees he has a time anomaly experience and it's so interesting how this james who's writing right probably the son of joseph by this wife this initial wife he had um is describing what happens is joseph suddenly sees everything kind of stop and he sees people it's almost like star trek you know that episode where in the very original Star Trek where people are moving really slowly and they're mm. not moving and they're, he sees them moving really slowly, not really moving, moving. And they're in a state of stillness and action at the same time. So he sees like the uh, farmers drinking from the water. They're in motion and they're, and they're not in motion at the same time. Mm. The peasants eating in the field on their blanket, they're in motion and they're not in motion. And he, and he just goes through this weird anomalous time warp situation and then boom, everything stops and, and, and goes back to normal. And he's like, what was that all about? But these are the types of mystical things that are in this writing by this James that indicate to us that high level, non-ordinary portal oriented things were afoot. And then Mary goes through a vision while she's there, you know, she's in the cart and uh, Joseph looks back and at one moment she's smiling mm -hmm. and he looks back and she's like basically crying and he's like, wow, what's going on? And she's like, I am having a vision. I'm seeing two things where this child that I'm bringing forth, it, it, he's going to bring the best in people and the worst in people out. Yep. Right. Yes. It's going to cause tremendous possibility and tremendous suffering and, and she sees this right so she's a prophet she's a seer those are just mm -hmm. some of the anomalous you know non-ordinary out of three-dimensional things that go on in addition to the fact of mother mary has conceived this child without any male assistance at all 
Yes. Um, I was going to, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll, I lost connection for a second. I was going to ask you, um, what would be your definition or what would you think like would be like immaculate conception? Because when I was younger, I was always taught that it, it, it's because Mary, it happened three times in a row. Um, or like three different stories, like, you know, a trinity, perhaps, of like divine feminine to make it immaculate. Um, so I was just wondering, like, what is the importance of it being immaculate? Like the importance of that word, especially. Is that where the right. term third, third time's a charm comes in? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> well, I'm not... I am not, I'm not privy to that story of the three times, but what I can tell you is that the term is used by the Catholic Church is that immaculate conception means that Mary herself was conceived without sin. It okay. doesn't refer to her conception of Jesus. That's number one thing that we need to clear up. Immaculate, yes. he came in without okay. sin. Now, they weren't far off with that because she was an avatar of her mother her mother gave birth to her without any male sperm yes. it was it was a virgin birth ritual which is described in the infancy gospel of james and i analyzed this to the hilt in my book the mystery tradition of miraculous conception okay Amazing. people should go and get on amazon because this is all in a very clear very very readable way explained you want all the details? It's here. Links will be in the Perfect. show notes, everybody. You can click yeah. right underneath and go grab yourself a copy right now. It will right now. It will put your blown out mind together. Is what it will <laughs> breathe it and out so, and then bring it. Back I think in. that's what we need. bring it back in in a whole new way. And so, so she was already. Now there's a story also that Anne had a mother. Um, right emerentia but that's like it's not in that gospel but it's in the lore and you can, mm -hmm. you can look it up and find it and i haven't looked at it too carefully but for all we know Anne was in a lineage of this because mm -hmm. this is how these priestesses operated you can't just be born and be like oh i think i'm going to grow up and be a divine birth priestess it's like you're right. born into a lineage they even reference sarah the mother of isaac as like one of the original women who did this. Remember Sarah? She was old. Mm -hmm. She suddenly conceived Isaac uh, through the good of God. Well, no, she was a virgin birth priestess too, a prophetess. <laughs> and so they refer, so in a way, Mary is like third in that lineage, if you will, but I'm yep. sure there are many women in between. Um, yes. and, so, and so Mother Mary, when you come in as an avatar, you... We wouldn't say you are less necessarily immaculate. Um, we wouldn't necessarily say that you are, but but you are more likely to be born without sin. Mm -hmm. You are more likely to be born without karma. That's probably the ultimate reference. You're born without karma because you're coming in through a woman who's very high level purified to begin with, directly from the star seed people. No male was involved in the creation of this person, so there's no intergenerational karma and this and that. Ultimately, that's what the Immaculate Conception of Mary is. She came in a very high-level being. She doesn't have karma. She doesn't have much in the way of transgressing because she knows how to be in alignment. She had many, many lifetimes before mm -hmm. Mother Mary and Rudolf Steiner, our friend, mm -hmm. said that before becoming Mother Mary, she was, guess who? Isis. Mm. okay let that sink in guys <laughs> isis who was working the dildo and then she's like ah, i got that down pat let me go into the next life so i can bring <laughs> a real avatar okay and she did oh, that God. so these are the kinds of things that that just were astounding to me when i was discovering it and this and so much more is in this book the mystery tradition of miraculous conception i mean honestly if humanity, like really, like you're saying, had this sink in, 
everything, the entire world would stop tomorrow and be, mm -hmm. we'd be like, we have to reassess everything. We, you know? I, I mean, I know doing everything in, in, in my possible power to try to uh, encourage people to open their minds to anything yes. involving this realm. Uh, I, I want to ask a question about um, the timing of these things. Is there anything you found in your studies that has to do with cycles and specific uh, planetary rotation, astrological alignments, uh, star alignments, anything that has to do with any sort of lunar phases or anything at all that might have to be involved yes. with studying the sky clock. Yes, and there's quite a bit of that peppered throughout my first two books, The Cult of Divine Birth in Ancient Greece and Virgin Mother Goddesses of Antiquity. But let's go to the most famous, understandable connection of all, the Star of Bethlehem. Yes. Okay. I mean, clearly this is referencing an astrological timing and it's referencing a communication with whatever star system that was, which nobody really knows. Maybe we could do some channeling on it, whatever. Mm. But we are saying we are, we are understanding that the star beings involved in, with this as assisting people like Gabriel's of the world, the angels. Yes. <laughs> they assist the process. They're like, look, we know you're in 3D. We got to help you out here a little. So we're just kind of keeping an eye and we'll let you know when it's happened. That's kind of what we love. Gabriel's. Right? Yes. So Gabriel was that one. He's like, okay, stop now. You've done it. You've, you've done the conception. And she's like, Phew, you know, it was a lot <laughs> spinning action. That's spinning action yeah. at my wheel, you know, at my spinning wheel. So, yeah. so that's just one of the star alignments. And I think, you know, there's there's just other stories of, of rays of light, you know, coming from the heavens and this and that. These are star references. So anybody who's a star seed and is opening to star consciousness, you go, you look at what I'm saying, you look at these references, you'll be you'll get more information even than I had. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like right. the beginning, now you're going to figure out what the star of Bethlehem was. Yes. Right? So we're yes. all co-creating this. Blessed be, you know, we're co-creating. I'm bringing some pieces. You're bringing some pieces, right? Other people are going to be bringing other pieces into this. Uh -huh. So, um. That's just a little short story about that. And I'm excited to find out more. You know, I talk about the whole creation, uh, the divine birth tradition and the creation, the association with the Pleiades, mm -hmm. seven sisters yes. of the Pleiades, who are the seven mothers of the world, in addition to being the seven mothers of Atlantis. That's a whole other story that you can find in the cult of divine birth in ancient Greece. And I have four books I got to read. All right. And you know what? <laughs> even, though, even though those first two books are academic, they are readable. Like it is well, clear. It's good that like they're academic. We we need academics in this field because yes. it's either they're scared to step up or because we're not academics. And what I've come to realize is like people don't take you seriously, no matter who you are, no matter what you know. If you do not have like letters or something of that nature behind your name, so it's it's venerating to have academics and academia books on this certain topic because they're rare. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I'm I'm continually trying to have my material become more and more accessible. So I've taught it in different formats. I've taught the Divine Birth Mystery teachings. There's an audio series that people can listen to um, on my you know, through one of my courses that leads people through the material of the cult of divine birth in ancient Greece. You know, I've taught on the Eleusinian mysteries. I've taught on the Pleiades. I've taught on Mother Mary and, and this whole divine conception process and history that she went through, etc. So it's very understandable, ultimately, for people. Yes, um, you know, like no geniuses need to apply. It's just... <laughs> What happens is you become, you access your genius information once you hear it, because it clicks open a door for you and you're like, whoa, oh. and then all of these are coming in and you start accessing different parts of your DNA and your brain 
suddenly used to these ideas. So that's what you guys are about in large part for yes. yourself and for, for others. Many of us. Mm-hmm. Right. One of the only non uh, like educational books or like scholarly works, because I had a hard time long part of my life, like reading any like novels. Like I was like, I don't care about stories. Like I love stories. I create stories in my head constantly. Don't need yours. <laughs> But when it came to the works of Philip K. Dick and Vallis, oh, gosh. the Vallis trilogy, I, oh. he he got beamed with a, a, a hit of pink light and through his Vallis, uh, Vallis trilogy that thus led to his own death. Um, <clears throat> I believe that he was a star seed that got hit with uh, information and he had a vision about um, kind of like this veil that lives on uh do, have, have you have you read the works of alice philip Dick? no this sounds fascinating it is the most fascinating and he was a genius in the sense of how he weaved together his philosophical works his esoteric works into story form yeah so beautiful yeah so well he was essentially an oracle right yep. he yeah. was a channeler like tolkien what I've received is that Tolkien actually wrote it down exactly as it happened. Yeah. I mean, he did, he wrote down that whole history of the she. When you How else do you preserve history in your own niche way other than making it into a wild novel that no one would believe, you know? That's, and so that's where your right. work gets fossilized and then like it's there and then the next time he comes back around he'll be able to build on that you know it's just that's right yeah I mean you know our artists our writers our fiction fictionalists you have to tune in to what they're saying because half the time they are channeling I think Dolores Cannon has some books oh my goodness yes yes she what she's from my area she is from like probably 40 miles down the, the same oh road go have lunch mm-hmm. every day you know just <laughs> i mean while she's still I, here on the planet right i mean okay so she uh, I, helped out mm-hmm. she did and like a lot of people um around here have like these same like weird like spiritual like oracle things like it's very odd the area i live in and i think that the more that are responding to that quartz mm-hmm. foundation mm-hmm, which mm-hmm, is that what we're doing good god a beam, you know they're quartz <laughs> it's a ride yeah they're they're in communication with the star realms all the crystals all right well yeah so it creates a very activated place when you have a lot of quartz underneath. So I want to ask you one more question about the uh, the seven sisters, the Pleiades, linking up with the concept of the seven chakras. And we talked at the very beginning of the show about if people believed in reincarnation or not. So um, I'm kind of going to try to weave a question here that starts with, your uh, belief and understanding of reincarnation and how you think or have believed that that works. And then this idea that I actually had just right before we started recording, I was thinking about um, when you uh, are making love here and trying to bring a, a human into birth, um, the alchemical marriage within our physical reality to have sex and, yeah. and make love and have a baby. When you do it intentionally, um, with with potential, uh, uh, you know, trying to line up with astronomical or astrological alignments and things. But if you center, do do your meditation and, and get all of your wheels and your flowers and your petals spinning within your chakra energy system, is that a potential for an entry for more higher up spirits? Do you believe That's that? Right. They're... Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Hundred yes. percent. I mean. First of all, one of the other things that I became certified in to teach is called the Holy Womb Chakra Teachings. Oh, wow. I'm listening. Yeah. Come from India and the ancient palm leaf manuscripts as conveyed by the late Hindu saint Sri Kaleshwar, who crossed out of his body in 2012, but left these teachings. And I've been trained in this lineage. What, what is this uh, lineage called again? 
right the holy womb chakra system he talks about the womb as being as having a separate chakra it's not the second chakra okay it's related to but differential from and it's related to the whole cosmic womb oh and women and that when women and men he has a two mantra process whereby when women and men a couple engages in this through the right timing um you can conceive a divine what he calls a divine child um and then it's it's a more elevated soul so the point is that we do want women and men to get to the place where they can conceive higher level vibrational children to bring through the star seeds more consciously um and you know that's that's a whole discussion but divine birth through that process is very accessible for couples who are interested in it and yes and very so I very say, very interested in this wow. <laughs> you, can go, you can go to seven sisters mystery school.com and under the online offerings you can see the holy womb chakra teachings you can check it out it's available on demand um, you can have a session with me, you know, to to amplify it and so forth. But it's all explained how you do it. What are the mantras? What are the yantras? The sacred drawing, all clearly laid out for any person to be able to do it who is feel feeling called to do it. You don't have to be born into a Hindu lineage. You don't have to be, you know, in an ashram for twelve million years, whatever. No, you just have to have an open heart, reverence, respect for these mantras, for these yantras, respect for Mother Divine. These are things that he says Mother Mary used, Mary Magdalene used, etc., and Jesus, among others. And it's still available to us today. And the, you know, the veil is coming off on this so that we can have these processes and tools and technologies once again. It really is, Marguerite. The veil is lifting, whether like people actually want to realize that or not, because this actually is, it makes sense. You know what I mean? It actually makes the most sense. I actually can't wait to read your other books. I'm very thrilled about that. Mm. Um, but the, I check out the Holy Womb Chakra teaching, see if it resonates, you know? Oh, I, yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm about to dive head first. And it's York open for any, any gender identity, right? Anybody. Um, I got in the class, men have taken it because you can act, all men have the not a bindu point in them, which is a, a womb power point essentially. So the and they can access the power of the womb through their mothers, their mother lineage, and also through um a, a sacred feminine woman in, in his life. Yes. So Absolutely. you know, yes, please. okay. So <laughs> this is this is this is about bridging. Yeah. Okay, and it's about making all these things much more accessible. Like Mary seems like some impossibility and granted yeah. she was way up in the high ethers doing this, but there's different levels of what she was doing that can come down to us. And priestesses can once again, resurrect that process if, and as need be, if we decide that we want to start bringing the kind of high level avatars that Jesus was onto the planet again. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm, I'm supremely into this. I'm can't wait. Uh, I want to introduce, uh, our brother, Andy Sage, who I know wanted to be here earlier and I got, I got a little late, late to post in the link, but Hey buddy, how are you? Uh, love you brother. And, uh, do you have any questions? Because we got seven minutes left on the recording time. Welcome to the hey. wave. I'm glad to be here. What's up guys. And, uh, yeah, I do have a couple questions. This is all so fascinating to me and I love this, uh, this school from India that you guys are talking about. Um, I thought about you, brother. I thought about you. Cool. I wish I was here earlier, guys, but this is so cool. I can't wait to watch the rest of the show. Um, but I had a question. Uh, it was referring to um, as far as another woman in my life, a uh, sacred feminine uh, connection that I have in my life uh, can give me access to the womb, as yeah. was mentioned earlier. Um, so I had an experience with this personally where um, I was partaking in a ceremony with a, with a sacred feminine companion of mine. And then we, um, you know, we conjoined and like had a sacred union afterwards. And after that experience, 
uh, my spirit was called out of my body to the sun. And I know that it was a hundred percent due to my connection with her and my, and I was right next to her laying down in the bed. She was asleep. And then I was wow. carried up and brought to like, have all my yearnings like answered. Like I wow. wanted to know so much from the divine and it was all given to me from that experience. So I feel like I, I have personal testament to this. Must it be like you access the solar feminine Christ? Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> which is essentially what is within us all, which is what Mother Mary Magdalene and Jesus were trying to reteach us and remind us is that look, this is within you all. Here are some tools and technologies for how to reaccess it. And one has to do with joining the feminine masculine within. And so, what a blessing. Within. Within, within, okay, because that's what they call the ancient mystery of the bridal chamber. Yes. And so it's both receiving it, you can receive it in couplehood, and the ultimate that you're looking for is to receive it within yourself. And then when you come to couplehood, it's like a whole other exponential experience. So it's like, Indy, it sounds like you were starting to get that um, through grace you know, that, that initiation, that introduction. Yes. And it changed my life. It's given me purpose and wow. Me inner peace and it's, it's oh given me amazing. Wow. What a story of medicine, um, to, to share with others and also to experience, um, you know, teach people about, wow, that's what a gift. Yeah, and I've been able to use this gift to heal people and um, awaken people and provide therapy to help people um, build self-mastery and work through their inner turmoil to build inner peace. It's been a real trip. And that's amazing because we are all needing that. Like just as much as we want that ascension and that connection with the oneness, we're having to heal our personal lineages of anxiety depression you know all mm -hmm. of that stuff like it's both and you can't just do a spiritual bypass and be like oh goodbye to all my worries it's like no. well no your worries will keep calling you down yeah in fact it's like the worries can be a pathway of getting into that inner peace that then is that christ sophia consciousness but it's you know it takes a lot to to deal with and to work with Every morning, I feel like every day it's that really, which is a whole other conversation. And if you uh, uh, would ever have any more time to speak with us again, we could go uh, even deeper from where we started. But talking mm -hmm. about the concept of sleep, being mm -hmm. awake in the realm, going to sleep and then waking up yet again, how That's that plays really into um, all of these topics and and what it means for us to wake up every day, what it means for us to deal with our consciousness and the psyche uh, within these realms on a daily basis and, and how to stay tuned and stay present. Absolutely. You know, and that's what I'm working with myself personally and working in in my teachings, along with this very interesting esoteric material, <laughs> and higher level processes. But it's it's all about integrating everything from the earth walk, you know, in, into so that we can activate our divine angelic human DNA again and be walking in Lemuria. Well, please, everybody, come to come to the Big Island Hawaii and see Pele uh, in her glory, uh, the womb yeah. of creation on the on the planet Earth, and let's yeah. <laughs> have some. So you are in ancient Lemuria over there. Mm hmm. Was the location of it, you know, around the whole in the Pacific. Okay. And Atlantis is on the Atlantic Ocean. And, you know, that's what I'm stuck with right now, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Healing to be done. Healing to be That's why all the crystals were there, right? They were tapped into the, that uh, they were like accessing the extra algorithms on the, on the crystals and really figuring it out until they basically maybe, I've had crystals basically break shatter or leave my body when it's just if you don't give them the space that they need if you don't give them the grounding that they need if you don't give those beautiful computers charging um which i had to download about what charging is 
charging your phone or your laptop is literally grounding it to give it extra energy from being so completely computed and overused. Um, and that same concept with a crystal of like, if you don't allow it to be able to plug in and ground down, then it's, it won't turn on for you. So yeah, yeah, you got to clear them, clear them on a regular basis through the various means. I know we are here less than a minute. Yes. Um, Maybe I'll just say hello. Goodbye to all your listeners. Um, Come find me at seven sisters, mystery school.com. S E V E N. And you can find links to the books and they're under the show in the show notes. And I'd love to hear from you, work with you, have you experience some of these classes and more. So if you're curious, come on by or check out my YouTube channel also, Marguerite Regal Yozo. Love it. So glad you got to fit that in there. Thank you for seeing that because I... Oh, goodness. Yes, uh, ever, you guys are all amazing. Uh, please click the links get the books, go to the school because she has free offerings on her website. 